What's going on, everyone? This is Mike Dewar, your host of the Barbell CEO Podcast. And today is all about you guys. I'm going to be answering questions that I've collected off of my social media, primarily my Instagram, at Mike J. Dewar, as well as some emails that I've gotten along the way from viewers and athletes and coaches and people just trying to get fit, uh, ranging from nutrition to how many sweet potatoes I should be eating to uh, you know what's a better alternative for the front squat, back squat, uh, low bar, high bar, all those good questions. And we're going to dive into a couple of them here today. And uh, my intent with this is just to share questions that other people may have to hopefully guide you and your athletes or your clients or even you know, your loved ones to a better training, nutrition, philosophy, and just answering some real life questions to kind of clear the mud. So we are going to jump in. But before that, I want to make some quick announcements for my show sponsors. Uh, I really appreciate their support on everything that I've been doing. It's been really helpful uh, for me to just continue to put out this great content and really uh, spread the message of what I do. And then obviously share some great opportunities for whether it's training gear or supplements with you guys, stuff that I fully believe in. Uh, I would not pair up with a company if I didn't believe in their mission and their product and what they stand for. So my first one I want to make an announcement for is 10,000. They are a great training gear. So workout shorts, workout pants, tank tops. I'm wearing one right now. I love their stuff. If you guys see me uh, in the past couple of months here, I've been posting and just wearing a lot of their, their gear and really putting it up to the test. Um, I really love their shorts, the session and interval short. They got these army green session shorts that are freaking awesome. They look great. They show the quads off. I'm also a big sucker for training pants and they have those too. So you guys can head over there, use the code, the barbell CEO, and you can save some cash. Um, and it's just, yeah, they, I really, really believe in what they're doing there. They're really doing a lot of good branding and messaging out there too. So check them out. 10,000. Next one. If you guys are looking to change the way you eat, if you guys have seen on my Instagram, I've kind of went through a bulk and cutting cycle. I have the physique I've uh, only dreamed of, and it's been through a lot of uh, practice and refining my macros. And, and without the help of Renaissance Periodization, specifically their diet coaching app. Now, I've read all the books. I've done the, the, the diets with my clients. I've done them before, but this app is a game changer. My wife's done it. I've done it. Uh, in the previous episode, when I had my wife on here. She really was speaking highly of it. And that's coming from somebody who... You know, she's obviously fit and does this, but it's, she doesn't live, eat, and breathe like a trainer would. So to have it come from somebody who, you know, is a professional, who, you know, has to work the nine to five, to really see that side of it is awesome. So you guys can go to RP Strength um, or RenaissancePeerization.com, check out the Diet Coach app, give it a go. You, if you are used to doing other food trackers, it may be a little frustrating in the beginning, but I promise you after you know a couple of weeks of retweaking and refining your diet because it is going to have you eating differently, you're going to make some awesome strides and it's really going to be something you can sustain. So if you want to save on that, uh, you can save five bucks off the monthly app with the code J2FIT. That's J number two F-I-T. Last but not least, supplements. I get a lot of questions about supplements. Uh, I'm not a huge person who takes a bunch of supplements. I believe in taking some supplemental uh, protein, so I take whey. Um, but if you have any dietary issues, you can take plant-based, whatever that is. Uh, creatine, and then I'll, I'll dabble with some, some caffeine here and there, whether that's from a coffee roaster or in a pre-workout that might have some BCAs. So I am excited to announce I paired up with NF Sports. 
I am doing uh, supplements with them. So I'm really just sticking to the basics, the ways uh, I use their creatine. And then they do have a pre-workout that I'm dabbling with, but I still love my black coffee. But you guys can go check those out and you can save 30% off all supplements online with the code J2FIT. So you guys can check that out, NF Sports. Um, I just really like it because they're clean products. Uh, my athletes and myself, we get drug tested at a certain competition. So no surprises there. I don't want anybody getting popped for anything they shouldn't be taking. Um, and then it's just really a great line to fuel athletic performance, but also you can use it in everyday life. So, you know, I, I like having my parents use it. I recommend it to my clients. So it's really just an all around great company that is, is doing the right things uh, and getting certified where they need to be doing that. So those are the supplement show or the sponsor show notes, guys. Um, but enough of that. We're going to get into the questions. All right, so today's questions are from a couple people that I got off my Instagram. So if you guys have questions, you can go to Mike J. Dewar on Instagram there. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, you can also go to the uh, my YouTube channel and you can watch this with me and we can have a conversation. So that's youtube.com slash J2Fit. But first question today is from Tanubaba. I think I said that. Um, and they ask, low bar versus high bar squatting. For someone with bad knees. So squatting inherently is not bad for the knees, right? Uh, I think inherently the issue comes when people are squatting incorrectly, right? Which we can get into. Um, or if there's underlying issues, right? So if, uh, if someone has a bad squat, right? It could be because their patterning is wrong. And it's not necessarily uh, muscular or any, or any uh, traumatic injury, right? The other side of that is that they might actually have some sort of traumatic injury that if it hurts while squatting, it probably is hurting while doing other movements too. And that's something that we need to really understand first is what is the underlying cause of that pain in the squat? Because your knee shouldn't hurt in a low bar squat. It shouldn't hurt in a lunge. It shouldn't hurt in a high bar squat. And it shouldn't hurt in a front squat, right? If there's one of those is sticking out, my first hinkling is saying, if your knee hurts in a high bar squat, but it doesn't hurt in a low bar squat, we need to see why that's happening, right? And, and when we see the inherent differences between the low bar and the high bar, so the high bar, it's defined as a high bar because the bar is higher on the back. Uh, by in turn, it keeps us in a more vertical position. So think about a bodybuilder attacking their quadriceps or a weightlifter training because they need to stay in a, a vertical position. So in doing so, by keeping the vertical position, we cut down on the amount of hip flexion that's needed. And in turn, we require higher degrees of knee flexion, which the quadricep extends the knee, which is why we have more developed quads typically when we high bar uh, to a nice deep full range of motion in the knee flexion. Now, inversely, you have the low bar squat. And there's something that I wanna clarify here. A lot of times people hear low bar squat and the oath, it's the same, it's a squat, it's part of the same family. And while yes, the low bar squat, when you look at the angles, it's much more actually like a posterior chain dominant deadlift or a pull, right? Because just like in the deadlift, the hips are flexing at higher degrees, right? So we're loading up the hamstrings, the glutes, the back more. And the knees, while they are not straight, they are still flexed. Just like in the deadlift, we do have a bend in the knees. The low bar squat is much more of a posterior chain, uh, and I would call it kind of in between that. Um, it's not, 
I wouldn't call it an adequate quadricep developer movement. I'd call it, yes, it's a squatting movement, but if someone has bad knees and they can't hard bar squat, but they can low bar squat, they're probably able to do that because their, their knees aren't bending a lot, right? But is that necessarily the right thing to do in that situation? Or should they maybe not be squatting at all in that instance and really work on repatterning proper knee flexion, right? Because we have to kind of let the joint actions and understanding anatomy guide our exercise selection, not say, I want to squat, my knee hurts in high bar, so I'm going to go to low bar. Because you haven't addressed the underlying issue of your shitty knee flexion. And the quadricep is probably not getting adequately trained, so you're just digging yourself in a deeper hole. So some things that I really like to think about here is um, if and I have to assume here, because it's kind of an open-ended question, I have to assume that when posing this question, the high bar squat may be painful for someone. And if that's the case, we need to first dissect your the anatomy and how the joints are moving. So if we look at uh, certain movements like, do they have pain when they bend their knee sitting in a chair and they bend it from the full range of motion? If there's no pain and they can do that freely, then that at least tells me that there is no structural, there's no joint damage, right? Can they uh, sit there and do a split squat lunge and do it correctly without any pain? If that's the case, then I say, okay, like they have, mobi- they have movement, right? They have some sense of stability. There is no structural damage like they have blue ligaments or their cartilage is out in their knee and they're having pain regardless of what they're doing. So you have to kind of backtrack from there. But then what we have to look at is um, are they able to add loads? So maybe squatting, the high bar squatting that they're doing with heavy weight, that's what's causing the issue. And they just don't have the ability to control that weight and to control the eccentric. So what's happening is the muscle isn't strong enough to handle that. So it's asking the bones, the connective tissues, the ligaments to do all that for it. And that's where you get the, you know, because bones, ligaments, and connective tissues don't get adequate blood flow, typically, they recover slowly, you get a lot of damage, and it can really sideline you. So if we can go through all those unilateral movements and say, hey, we're good, then I think it really comes down to you need to fix your patterning, and you need to drop the loading, you need to employ certain techniques. So I like doing... um, Tempos, pauses in the deep stretch. Uh, I like doing lighter loads with that so you can have adequate control. Uh, You can also use like mini bands around the knees. Typically, uh, if the knees, maybe you're collapsing in, it's called valgus. Um, That could cause knee pain, a lot of lateral knee pain because you're asking the lateral knee stabilizers and the ligaments to pick up because the glutes aren't doing their job. So we can use reactive neural training like the mini bands. Uh, where it's around your hips. I'm sure you've seen those now anywhere. You can do that and you can start to train the glutes and repattern. Uh, a lot of times I also like putting uh, blocks underneath the heels and really forcing people to get into deep degrees of knee flexion uh, while staying upright. And sometimes they just don't have the ability to do that yet. So you have to um, you have to think about putting those blocks there to allow them to maintain that proper knee positioning. And then force them to pause at the bottom and really teach them how to use their quads. I also like using different machine-based stuff. So a leg press is sometimes great if we want to develop the quads. And let's say in a squat, uh, I'm just, I'm tired from a squat, right? I had a heavy squat day and my, my back might be a limiting factor at this point. And my quads have more in them. 
you can use unilateral or you can use machines to just drive more muscle growth in the quads. And again, focusing on deep muscle stretch, deep range of motion, feeling the local muscle fatigue in the quad. If you're feeling it in your knees, in your ligaments, and you're sore, you're probably not controlling it enough. You're going too fast. You're using too much momentum, and it's probably just too heavy. So again, I don't know if I answered that, but there's a lot of information there. But again, one squat isn't necessarily worse or better for your knees. You have to understand why your knee is hurting in a certain squat and kind of backtrack from there. Um, the next question, on a lighter note, but I'm going to kind of go in on this as a, as a note for nutrition. Ross Hicks asks, how many sweet potatoes could you actually or could you realistically eat in one sitting? So, uh, you know, I think it's important first to clarify what type of sweet potato, like what form it's in, right? And I'm going to kind of break down to three. You have its fullest form, which is the baked sweet potato, right? Whether it's the oven or the grill. You have the French fry. So it can be the French fried, but I actually like air fryer sweet potatoes. And then you have some sort of a mash. So when we look at that, if I was sitting there looking at potatoes and I said I have to eat for mass quantities, I personally would choose to do a mash. Why? Well, I don't have to chew it. So that's going to impact how much food I could eat at one setting because, you know, the jaw muscles. Um, and then also, I'll be able to maybe manipulate with the taste a little bit. So I like doing mash when I'm trying to bulk because I can eat it quicker. Uh, I don't have to chew it as much. And I can add, you know, some, some sugars or some oils, just something to get more palatable so I'm more uh, apt to be eating it. Um, and then... You know, I think it's important for like a bulking cycle to maybe look at mash because it's going to be much more easily digestible because your body, it's already kind of broken down. Your body doesn't need to digest all that. So it's not sitting in your gut for as long, which is big when you're trying to bulk. Um, I think then if it was a regular potato form, like a baked potato or a cooked one, you know, I think I'd have to have some sort of topping because... You know, it's kind of plain and bland and, you know, eating the skin, it's going to take time. So that's definitely going to cut down my ability to eat as many, um, which I guess if you're trying to like maintain weight or, you know, you don't want to be eating a lot of sweet potatoes, but you want some satiety and some fullness, maybe that's an option instead of the mashed. Uh, lastly, the French fries. So I've been doing a lot of air fryers, especially during my cut because I cut them up. And you'd be surprised at how much uh, area a cut up potato and french fries versus just having one potato, how much it just, it fills your plate up. And which is cool is because you feel like you're eating so much more food. So I've been doing that with the air fryer. Obviously I'm not adding any, it's not fried, but it's an air fryer. So it's a healthy alternative, not a lot of fats. Um, but, you know, I don't think I could eat as much volume because my stack of french fries, because it's cut up versus my mashed would be so much uh, greater that it would almost be daunting. So it's great when I'm trying to tell myself or feel like I'm eating a lot uh, when I cut things up. If you've ever cut an apple up, it just goes a lot further on your plate, so you visually are thinking you're eating more. So that's kind of a trick I've used in cutting. But to answer the original question, if I had to eat as many potatoes as I could, right, and I was obviously not wanting to be bound up, it's a lot of roughage, a lot of fiber, I think I'd probably go and I could probably eat two to three mashed and, and comfortably leave that sitting feeling full but not wrecked. Um, so yeah, 
I mean, comment below, guys, if you have any ideas of what you think what you could eat. But, um, you know, I'd probably mash it and maybe put a little bit of brown sugar in there, um, maybe a little bit of butter. I mean, at that point, if I'm eating three potatoes, I'm not worried about calories. So that would be that. Um, all right. And then we have one more question. And this one's actually a cool one. Uh, it's from Eduardo Esco. And it's a question, how did you stay mobile for weightlifting while training bodybuilding? And I'm assuming that he saw a lot of my Instagram posts where I was doing a lot of more physique type work uh, while I was during the COVID uh, era and just working from home and then obviously cutting so really focus on physique, physique, physique. Um, so I want to just preface it by saying bodybuilding, when, when, I, when I call bodybuilding, right, I think a lot of people just visualize a bodybuilder. They think big, huge bodybuilder. Right, they think like uh, super immobile and and you know just kind of a big hunk of meat. And when I look at that, I think about bodybuilding. To me, is really just interchangeable to movements that are going to build our body, muscle building, hypertrophy training. Right. So whether you're an athlete, a weightlifter, powerlifter, or somebody out for physique, when I say bodybuilding, I personally mean. We're doing movements that are attacking muscle hypertrophy, which is a characteristic of a, uh, a training adaptation. And we're trying to increase the density, increase the muscle fiber size, and increase all of that to then set a foundation that maybe we can shift more into uh, strength work or whatever we wanted to do. Now, bodybuilding is not inherently bad for mobility. Right? There's a lot of weightlifters who weightlift and have shit mobility. There's a lot of powerlifters who powerlift and have bad mobility. There's a lot of runners who run and have really bad mobility. And there's a lot of bodybuilders who have beautiful mobility. Right, So when people think that they, or they put together in their head that bodybuilding inherently will, you know, like bench press is going to make your pecs tight and you won't be able to snatch overhead. Uh, I disagree with that. I think that if you do certain things in, in your training and then – you're coming from a point where you're already starting with good mobility, you're not going to have limitations as long as you find proper balance. So how do we do that? Um, first and foremost, and this is really bodybuilding 101, is you train in the four-inch motion, right? We're trying to get, when we look at muscle hypertrophy, we're trying to get the muscle to uh, fully extend and fully open. We're getting a lot of muscle loading and tension. So, you know, in a squat, we're full deep squatting, feeling the quads, we're feeling all of that. And I think uh, that is going to help you in weightlifting because you're going to get stronger in the end range, right? You're going to load everything, but also you're going to start to learn to control these eccentric motions. Um, so all of that is actually great for not only maintaining or restoring mobility, but then also being able to control those ranges of motions and, and having all of that. So I don't think that bodybuilding would hurt you in that sense. If anything, it would help because it's going to force you to really open and control yourself uh, throughout the range of motion, which is exactly what I do with a lot of my weightlifters, is I force them to really slow the movements down, feel the muscle loading, feel the contraction, feel the stretch. Uh, like I said before, controlling the eccentric. So the eccentric, if we look at a squat, it's a lengthening phase of the muscles. So the quads are eccentrically loading when we descend under control. In Olympic weightlifting, typically we don't want to go slow with that if we're trying to move mass weights. Uh, because we want to be fast, we want to be explosive. But at certain times, with lifters maybe who uh, are lacking size or who lack uh, coordination and control in the squat or maybe have excessive knee pain because their muscles aren't taking on the loading, what do I do? 
I force them to squat slow, pause, tempos, all these things that you see all these, uh, that these coaches are now using, these tempo counts and these pauses and positional work. Bodybuilders have been doing that forever, right? To try and isolate certain muscle patterns and, and to try and really build their weak points in the physique and build those muscles up. And it's no different except now, you know, some people think about looking at bodybuilders as these just like immobile people. And while they are, it might not have been because bodybuilding made it. It's because they probably just didn't have mobility to begin and they've always done bodybuilding and, and they never addressed their mobility. Just like, again, there's weightlifters who have really bad mobility who just continue to weightlift and they think that weightlifting is going to be good for the mobility, but they're not getting better. So the, the exercise mode isn't necessarily going to be better or worse for mobility. Um, it's really about how you're doing something and what you're coming into it as. And then lastly, uh, while I was doing this, I still was training weightlifting. So typically I was training weightlifting before all this, um, probably four or five days a week. I'd end with some sort of bodybuilding-esque type of accessory work, maybe one to two exercises every day. In my off seasons or in times where I'm not, you know, I'm further off competition, during this period, I was only weightlifting one day a week. And I was only doing like a, I was doing a power snatch plus a hang snatch. And then I was doing... I think like a hang clean plus a jerk. And then I had a little bit of behind the neck uh, push pressing with a snatch grip and uh, push presses for shoulders. That was it, right? And I think like for me, knowing my, you know, my trouble areas, so like typically the shoulders, right? And most guys probably get tight shoulders if they start doing a bunch of bench and stuff and curls. Um, but if I just maintain that behind the neck stuff, doing my accessory work, my behind the neck presses and doing some basic snatch work to kind of keep it fresh, I was fine because I already had the mobility going in. So I think that's important to, to designate. Um, but again, I don't think uh, that mobility is going to get worse if you do bodybuilding. If you do the bodybuilding movements in the forearms of motion and you control the eccentric and you do it properly while also maintaining your skill sets, right? Which you'd be surprised at how much you, how little you have to do for weightlifting if you're intermediate to advanced. You could get away with doing one, two, one to two days and then put all your other efforts into gaining muscle, gaining strength and not be fatigued because you're doing snatches and cleans all day. Um, but that's a whole here nor there kind of conversation, whole nother uh, topic there. So, I think those are some things I know I kind of beat around the bush, but uh, I just want to make it clear again that bodybuilding is not inherently bad for mobility. I actually think it's probably helped me, especially with my squatting and my mobility down there to really get comfortable pausing down on the bottom, feeling the muscles loaded. Uh, same thing with RDLs and hamstrings, like stretching those hamstrings out has really helped uh, not only build the hamstrings under load and tension, but also get me better in certain positions like the hang where now my hamstrings are developed and they've understood that they need to you know, open up and extend the, uh, the, uh, the hips at the top. So um, I actually recommend most people to maybe try some bodybuilding accessory work and, and use pauses and use tempos and full range of motion to help them out. Um, so, okay, I think we've killed that horse. Uh, I think that's all I have for today. I want to keep this one pretty short. Like I said, about three questions here. So you guys can always pose questions uh, if you guys are to listen to this on the podcast, um, head over to my social media. I'm most active there at Mike J. Dewar. Uh, you can you know, ask, ask me questions in my DMs or on comment on posts. I read them all, and, uh, and I'll kind of throw these in here in an upcoming series. You guys should also go check out this video. It's now on YouTube, um, youtube.com slash J2Fit. 
Uh, you guys can comment there, share it, let me know what you think, and uh, we'll have more to come. But once again, guys, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you guys, if you're looking for any cool training gear, diet, nutrition, uh, supplements, all that stuff, check out the show notes in the beginning of this show when we go over in the first couple of minutes uh, how you can save some cash and get going on that. Uh, that's all I got. All right, have a good one.